All right, guys, uh, welcome to the wildlife experience. Uh, today, I'll be speaking to Jack Naylor. Uh, Jack, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, so we can start off. Uh, well, first off, it's kind of cool how we how I know you. Um, so I've, I've known you from YouTube for a long time, or that's how I first knew of you. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. We had at least one interaction over YouTube comments when we were like little kids. <laughs> yep. Um, I really, you posted more than I only had like one video. You had at least like a dozen hurt videos. Yeah, um, man. Getting after it back then. And then, you know, kind of lost touch and then randomly ran into you out in the middle of the woods. Um, so that's, <laughs> that's our kind of relationship. Um, but go, go ahead and, uh, you know, Tell us, tell us about yourself, uh, you know, your, how you got into herps and, and, you know, just your career, whatever, whatever you want to talk about, man, about yourself. Um, yeah, I'll try to give you a little um, wildlife-related elevator pitch. So um, I never really grew up in a family that placed a lot of emphasis on fishing or hunting or the outdoors much. Um, yeah. As, as young as I can remember, I was always really interested in it, flipping over rocks and looking for bugs. And then that graduated into lizards um, and eventually snakes. And I think I got into snakes specifically probably in like fourth or fifth grade. Um, that was back around the same time YouTube uh, first started to become more popular. Yep. And started to realize that it was a hobby that other people did and I was learning a lot and from there it just <clears> took <throat> off got really really into it for three or four years um and kind of by the time I was old enough to drive which was around high school I I sort of took a break from it for yep. a really long time I was yep. playing soccer competitively and yep. um, just sort of doing my own thing but I never lost that bug that little itch to yeah uh, be outdoors and I was always hiking and always doing something but it wasn't like a huge part of my life sort of the way it is now um, and I've never really fully devoted myself to wildlife photography or um, learning about wildlife but I try to squeeze it in as much as I possibly can I went to TCU and got a degree in business supply chain management. Um, and I'm working as a regional sales manager for an HVAC company um, that manufactures heating and cooling and air movement equipment for commercial buildings. Um, and when I'm not doing that, I'm squeezing in as much road trips and mm -hmm. uh, herping and just wildlife in general. As You're getting I, as after I it, man. You can really get after it on your weekends. <laughs> I, I run myself dry, you know, I spread myself pretty thin, but I, I love it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of nice not having it be my, my career in a sense. I do sit there and look at guys like you and think, man, it would be so nice to have that be my job that I do every single day. Yep. There's a lot of perks that come with having it just be a hobby that I do when and what I, I want to have it be, you know? Yeah. Well, there's, um, yeah, there's benefits to both. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I do work in ecology. Um, oh, nice. What's your dog's name again? Archie. Archie. I should have known that. I, I met Archie in the flesh. Uh, um, 
but you know, I have, I've had one, uh, field, like field herpetology job and I loved it, but I'd rather do the, all my herping stuff on my own time. Um, so like my job now is not, you know, herp specific. It's more just general field ecology. Um, so there's something to be said about, you know, doing the stuff you're passionate about more on your own terms, not being for like forced to do it for a job. Cause it can, you get a little jaded, you know, if you do it, um, for, for, for some people that it works out, they, they work in herpetology and they field herp in their free time. But, um, I do like a little more of a balance personally. So I feel you there, man. Um, and on sort of off topic, but you mentioned that your job is more related to ecology in general. And I think that's really cool. Um, I really admire just your, your level of enthusiasm, not only for the animals that we find cool, but also, um, the whole ecosystem and, and, yep. and you do a really good job of seeing the big picture and, uh, pulling it all together. And it's really cool what you do. I, I appreciate it and I admire it a ton. No, I'm serious, dude. You, you really know your stuff and you're, you're a good down to earth guy that, um, yep that's that's living it you're you found a way to make that your career and and uh you're learning more and more every day it's just cool to kind of watch you do your thing and and uh check in on it so yeah awesome man thank thanks for that <laughs> no problem I, uh, you know i always hope uh, i don't think like i'm like i know a whole lot or anything i just i'm pretty passionate you know about um you know the, the big picture the the ecosystem as a whole um used to be more you know specific kind of start with herbs and then kind of work your way up, get into birds. And um, then when you get into plants, that's one that when you get into plants, it, you know, you enter into a whole new world. Cause once you understand plants, plants are what make up a bulk of the system, you know, yeah. they're the primary producers, yeah. they're what, you know, they're the base of the, you know, the food chain and um, they create habitat for, for the animals that we look for. So understanding uh, plants is uh, really important. And then you learn, you know, when you like, if you like looking for reptiles, I really think you would enjoy looking for rare plants because you, you, you learn about this species that only grows on this, you know, on this one, you know, substrate, this one soil type that it's found in like one county and you like read up on it and you go out there and you try to find it, and, you know, it's hard, they're hard to find some of them. And, and some of, but some of the best naturalists I've ever met are plant people. They just, they have to know so much. Um, there are a few people I've been really inspired by, like, like Matt Buckingham. I don't know if you follow Naturalist Journey. Um, yeah, yeah. He's like the, you know, person that has had a large, just following him on Flickr and Instagram has had such a large influence on me, um, trying to get out of just the herb specific uh, way of doing things. Um, and I try to, I, I, I see how I've been inspired by like Matt's work. So I'm trying to like do that for other people, you know, yeah. kind of like set the example. Um, I think just trying to like lead by example. I don't like, I don't, I don't like being preachy is very successful if you're trying to influence people. I think leading by example and letting people, you know, you know, kind of make their own judgment is uh, far more successful. At least that's how I am anyway. I don't, I don't like people preaching to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, I just get inspired by people's work. That sort of thing. Definitely. Um, so it's a, I, going back to plants. I'm kind of catching the bug yeah. because 
if you really, if you really and truly want to maximize the enjoyment and the, what you can get out of herping, for instance. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's really important to understand the entire ecosystem. And, and like you said, that drives a ton of the explanations for why yep. a snake or any reptile or amphibian may be doing what it's doing at that moment. And I think that's one of the most exciting and, and interesting parts of the hobby for me is answering those questions. Yep. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't go to school for it. And a lot of people that I did that. still don't know a lot of, yeah. a lot of well, things about the natural world. And so yep. connecting the dots and kind of, yep. Why did I see these snakes on this night and, and under these conditions? And, you know, I went back out the next night and seemingly everything was the same and I saw nothing. There's all these weird nuances and questions and uh, it's sort of like putting yep. together a puzzle or a yep. treasure of some sort. Before we drift too far off, I just want to point out that, um, you know, you don't, you don't have to have a degree in biology to be a really good naturalist. Um, some of the best naturalists I know have no academic background at all. Um, there's so much information out there. And, and, and I did really enjoy my experience studying ecology and being around the professors and learning from them. And um, it, it, but ultimately the, the main reason I went to school was to hopefully work in the field um, of you know, wildlife ecology. Um, but as far as just you know, learning about natural history and, and you know, connecting those dots, um, I, I just, I wanna, Make sure people understand like don't be discouraged if you don't have the academic background for ecology and, and biology because you can still be a, a really good naturalist and even contribute a lot to science through citizen science um you just got to take the personal initiative to go out and and learn and you know just dig into the literature and um spend a lot of time in the field that's the biggest part i think for me I, I'm, I'm more of a visual learner um I like going out and just using iNaturalist and eBird and taking pictures and um, just kind of learning through experience. Um, that's, that's how I, I really enjoy yeah. it. Yeah, so. I've, um, I agree completely. Uh, personally, I, I think that for my life, like the amount of time I have to devote to it is, is limited. And so that yeah. is somewhat, somewhat frustrating, but at the end of the day, I mean, you're right. I think that, um, as long as you have open ears and an open mind, yeah. there's a wealth of, of knowledge out there and yeah. uh, experiences to be made. And so I, that's what I do. I just try to get out there as much as I can. I've, I've never been like a huge planner. Um, you know, I just, <laughs> just moved off. out to Las Vegas and I was like, I'm going to find as many snakes and I'm going to buy I'm, a camera and I'm going to start this wildlife account and I'm going to do it. You know, we're going to have to talk about um, that your Las Vegas so, adventures at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really fun time period in my life. Um, also, uh, before we get there, I want to point out, you know, when it comes to learning about, you know, the natural world, just, um, I'm just like, follow my heart. I don't like, I'm not like, I'm going to learn about this group of plants or that. I just go out and I just really like something and I just go out and see it and learn about it. You know, like, yeah, I, I don't like it's hard to force me to learn about something. I just I kind of follow my passion wherever it leads. Um, I think that's a good approach to take. Definitely. You know, um, a very natural interest. Because, um, you know, you don't want it to be boring and just, you know, just flip through a botany book all day. That can, that can be a little monotonous and not as interesting. 
Yeah. It can, it can burn you out. Sometimes I'll like just kill myself trying to accomplish one specific goal and find one specific species. And, uh, sometimes you just take a little break from it. A lot of, uh, a lot of good things can come your way. Yeah. I just, to me, the, 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 the main goal is to follow your heart wherever it leads. You know, I drift in and out of like throughout the year, I'll, you know, spend some time looking for snakes and then I kind of go through a little like plant phase and I'm out looking for rare plants depending on the time of year. And then sometimes I want to go fishing or whatever, but it, it always circles back, you know, it's like a cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, that's the benefit to me of being a, kind of a general outdoorsman and naturalist is every, every year everything everything stays fresh you know when I used to just be a herper I'd you know try to hurt my ass off through the entire summer spring and summer and by late summer it got miserable and I'm like damn, I can't find any cool snakes and like what the hell do I do now you know I I'm thankful that um I, I do see like a lot of people in the herping community if you will and a lot of times just joking around and stuff, but who sort of almost ignore other wildlife entirely. And they'll go yes. out there and they'll, they'll search for snakes and they'll leave and be like, I had a horrible day, but you know, in the process may have passed by an owl and some coyotes and, yeah. and all kinds of like incredible animals. But um, I don't know. I've, I've always been really into predators in general. I think yeah. that, I think admittedly I've always been attracted to the exciting and slightly dangerous. And uh, I think that's how a lot of people start out when they first get into it. And then as you really develop somewhat of an identity around it or start to grow an attachment or that sort of thing, you, um, you, you make an effort to be a little more educated and and try to be more well-rounded as, as you're sort of doing. Yeah. The, the identity part was that important for you as a kid? Um, it's funny you ask that. I, I think when I first, I never felt like a true herper. I always felt like I was on the the fringe of the community. Oh, yeah. Um, and you put out some great yeah. content though on YouTube. <laughs> I loved your videos. Yeah, I um, I loved making them. I just I was really into it, but I never. It was never like all that I did. I, I, I do a ton of stuff. Um, it, you know, whatever interests me at the time, whether it's mountain biking or soccer or slacklining, or I was in yeah. a downhill longboarding for a really long time. And um, it just happens that herping and wildlife photography is something that's fairly sustainable that I can do all the time. And yeah. Um, I have a deep passion for it. So that's yeah. something that I've always sort of constantly done just in and out. But um, yeah, yeah, I definitely dabble in all kinds of little hobbies and interests yeah. and stuff. But uh, the herping, you think herping will be always kind of linger around? I, I can't get away from it. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, I, I would like to consider myself a not a wildlife photographer. It's It's more, it's definitely a hobby, but Um, when I get down to the statistics, I'm definitely looking for snakes way more than I am other, other animals. And usually some of my like mammal photography is a lot of times a bycatch that I just happen to see in pursuit of snakes. But I do go out on specific trips looking for, you know, um, different mammals when I'm in unique areas and that sort of thing. 
Oh yeah, yeah, mammals. Um, you know, one thing I've noticed, I've seen over the years, herpers getting uh, like burnt out, you know, and they're, they're like, herps don't excite me anymore. And I, I think if you spend your whole life herping in an area and you've seen, you know, all the species in your area, um, and perhaps you're not able to, you know, explore different parts of the country or the world, it, it can, you can get jaded on seeing the snakes in your area. And I think that's perfectly normal. It doesn't mean you don't like snakes. I think that's part of the reason why I think it's very valuable to be uh, a more well-rounded naturalist because, you know, now I spend like the springtime, I really hit local snakes hard when, when they're undercover and I really enjoy early season flipping you know, getting the milk snakes and, you know, all the cool stuff. But as the year goes on, you know, I, I start to doubt, like, look for other stuff. And, you know, I'm always looking for snakes, obviously, but I'll, I'll target like, you know, amphibians or um, I really, you know, I've gotten into salamanders a little bit lately and, you know, plants. And I think it, I think it's really valuable um, to be well-rounded so you don't get, you know, burned out on one, on one, you know, group of animals. Um, you know, and some, but some people could never get burned out on even seeing the common species. And I, but I, I think, I don't know if I had ADHD or something. I just, I like diversity. <laughs> more yeah. Diversity, the better, the more, more attacks the better. Um, yeah. I'd be, I'd be lying if I said I didn't uh, get burned out on certain species. Copperheads, right. Copperheads. I, I, Although, copperheads, they, a, they are a good place snake. in my heart. They are a good common snake. Exactly. Like, like if I wouldn't choose another, snake over them to be the snake that i see the most you know they're yeah. they're really beautiful and neat um and a great snake to to show people yeah uh whenever they visit and stuff because it's an easy find most of the time and and uh, they're always really exciting and, and just beautiful snakes yeah you know what's funny is um you know i grew up in this uh and you know right outside of beaumont in this island of pine forest and i never could find a copperhead there and it just and I'll see like Houston herpers finding copperheads all the time. I'm like, gosh, I guess I got to go to Houston to find copperheads. <laughs> and like, well, I had seen copperheads when I was a little kid up in North Texas. And I was so fascinated. But I never, I'll never forget like the first one I saw. It was just like, like coiled up middle of the day. Me and my dad were hiking and it was in the wide open. I was just like so fascinated. Um, you know, and then I uh, like growing up in that town outside of Beaumont, I never could see them and it's like, man, when I get my driver's license, I got to go to Houston to find all these copperheads. Um, then, you know, I ended up finding a lot just north of Beaumont. And, and, you know, if you cruise anywhere in the Piney Woods, you're bound to see, you know, several copperheads. And I quickly, I mean, I'm a little jaded on them, although I do still enjoy them. They're really a cool snake. You know, if, if you came here from another country, like you're not familiar with them, that would be like a really cool snake, I think. Absolutely. Really, really pretty. Um, Saw one today actually out out in Brazos. I have a really big one nice. moving in the daytime, which That's is always funny. I, I mean, they, they're pretty much you can find them just about everywhere, but mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect necessarily to for that to be the snake you see. Um, because I know that's a very aquatic habitat. I've only ever seen water snakes when I when I go out there and gators. Yeah, yeah, there, there are some more like some kind of kind of upland areas, upland like live oak, but there's, it's all pretty much a bottomland forest as part of that. They call it the Columbia bottomlands. It's a, it's basically the woodland, the riparian woodland that follows the Brazos river. 
the San Bernard River and the Colorado River. And it's like this forest of huge live oak trees and a lot of like uh, cedar elm and, and sugarberry. And it's just a very rich, you know, wetland, you know, forest ecosystem. And uh, they, they, the copperheads are, they are pretty abundant there, actually. If you, you know, flip, flip logs, I've seen them, you know, right along the river even. Um, oh, wow. But yeah, I've, I've only ever, um, I've been out there twice, actually three times, sorry, once when I was really young. Uh, and I've only ever done the, the paved trails that cut straight through the wetland. Yeah. Um, that first 40 acre lake. Yeah. Yeah. First parking lot there. Yeah. It's a yeah, cool place I, to just see a lot of wildlife. Mm-hmm. Alligators. It's a great place. I, I always recommend it when when somebody reaches out and is like, "Where should I go for like a cool hike?" And it's kind of funny because Houston is to to somebody that like really isn't that into wildlife or hiking. Trying to convince them that Houston is cool is is hilarious, but like, there's not mountains and crazy scenery and stuff, but you get some of those biodiverse like it's just so cool and i I can't wrap my head around why people don't walk into a swamp and look around and be like this is so cool but um you know to each their own but yeah that's that's a place that uh it's really great for just like being able to see some really cool especially the alligators like they're just everywhere out there and it's a really easy way to have a you know, a memorable experience, just seeing the immensity and, 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 uh, those, those animals are just so cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you ever go to the dark side and start, uh, paying attention to birds, Brazos Bend is a great place to see migrating songbirds and, um, herons and egrets and ducks and a lot of, a lot of cool birds out, American bitterns are real common out, common out there. Um, Yeah. I'm getting more and more into birds. Um, I started out being kind of like uh, really only like I would only pull my camera out for bird of prey. Um, yeah, that's when I, I first. That's how I started. Yeah. Out. yeah. But uh, but yeah, I, I I like them all. They're they're really really cool animals. I mean, dude, they fly. That that's like <laughs> just ridiculous. I tell you, you know, I've always appreciated birds and really the diversity. There's so many species. And they're really fun to watch. Like, I think that um, one of the coolest part about snakes and reptiles and amphibians is that they they sort of exist on this time scale that's so much different than what we exist on. But when you watch birds, they're they move at a fast pace, and it's really sort of easy to see what they're doing socially. And you know, they're building a nest or they're doing something you can kind of watch and grasp. Yeah, they're very uh, exactly what's going on and it's it's fun to just observe them and sit yeah. back and, and uh very peaceful i think that's why they're so popular more popular than herbs is because they're so accessible you can just see them anywhere um with herbs yeah. you gotta go you know dig through trash and <laughs> flip logs <laughs> but most yeah. people don't understand you know we they're they, they they're like oh you like to find snakes and in their head they're thinking you're just you know walking through the woods catching snakes then i realize most of us are digging through like like trash piles and tin and boards most of the time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm really working on like trying not to take the easy way out because you can totally get away with just like road cruising, flipping trash and like 
you find plenty of snakes that way, but um, and it's fun. It's very yeah, fun. and it, it is definitely fun. But I, I'm trying to to encourage myself to like, you know, get off the road, pull over, and and really earn the the cool in situ um, yeah. find where you're really immersing yourself out there. That's that's yeah. what it's all about. But I don't. I'm not knocking people that road cruise because i still probably majority cruise and and flip yeah. although no i can't say flipping is something i've always done i've never set out like a board line on my own but um it, you know a whole the flipping thing is like a whole culture of its own there are herpers that that's yeah. like the biggest part of it is you know either finding sites or you know setting up sites you know kyle of course well i know kyle elmore um he's like a just a flip fanatic. Like he loves setting cover. I've spent a lot of time herping with Kyle and I always get caught up in his, his flipping projects. He's always put me to work <laughs> 10, <laughs> 10 stacks and shit. And but then yeah. you know you go back and you find, you know, all these cool snakes and it like for people like him, that's a big part of it is, you know, setting out real like cover and like making it really nice and in the perfect habitat. And then you come back a year later and then you, you know, you enjoy the fruits of your labor. And I, I do enjoy that, but I don't do it as much on my own. Um, yeah. It's a lot of work. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, hey, if I am lucky enough to stumble upon some some cool cover, I'm definitely going to flip it. Yeah. And and herping around southeast Texas, you know, that's, that's a big part of finding certain animals, like milk snakes, for example. If you want to find a milk snake, you go dig through trash. And that's probably the best, best shot you're going to have. You know, actually, the only milk snake I've ever found in my life um, was it was off the San Jacinto River a little bit, and it was on the crawl on a really cloudy day. I think maybe it was just a little chilly, and I was trying to get out for some. I I don't I don't know I don't know yeah. why or how I found it, but of course, my friend who's like deathly afraid of snakes. Uh, I just look up and I see him like eight feet in the air and this is like a 200 pound guy. And I'm like, well, why is he, you know, eight feet in the air? And it was cause he stepped above a milk snake and saw it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it was, a, it was one of my favorite finds. I think. Did you, uh, were you able to get photos of it? I had my phone that day and so I got some phone shots, but, yeah. but unfortunately didn't have my camera. Yeah. Yeah, I used to, I used to really, like, be obsessed with milk snakes for a couple of years. I'd go out and you know look for them all the time, and I still enjoy finding them. But as long as I can find like one a year, I'm happy generally. Um, and I like finding them in new areas if possible. It's a little more exciting because there are certain areas around Houston where they're just, you know, they're really, really a dime a dozen. Um, I won't, I won't throw any locations out there. I don't want to offend. <laughs> any of my herping friends, but yeah. um, there are certain areas where they're, they're like almost, they're, I mean, they're not the most commonly seen snake, but they're very common to find. And it's almost like they're the most common snake around. They're just, yeah, so that you, you know, you don't always see them out and about, but they're just, they're really abundant. I haven't, um, I haven't quite really targeted them and maybe that's yeah. why, but yeah, I just haven't, haven't had much success with them. Yeah. To me, they're like a really elusive uh, yeah, snake. But you've been focusing on the timber. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, which I finally got, and I'm so stoked about it. But 
Yeah, well, I'm I'm still waiting for the story. <laughs> yeah, it was this is pretty You're pretty like one, huh? pretty underwhelming story, honestly. But actually, no, it's kind of cool. It was you one of those posted, days. You haven't posted it, right? Man, I've got a long backlog. I think I'm like two or three months behind. We're staying, like, staying in order. For the most part, like I, what I do with my Instagram page is I'll take the photos. Um, I It takes me a while to edit them. Yeah. And so whatever you're seeing is probably like two months behind real wow. time. Yeah. But for the most part, it's chronological. Although I do rearrange my photos because I'm kind of artsy and I like to turn my page into somewhat of like a, uh, I don't know what to call I, it, but I, but I, I try to match the colors I, together. I, I'm, and I'm stuff. the same way, dude. I, I, I'm very particular about what I post in relation to what I like, what is, what else is posted by it when on my page, like I like this to look nice and aesthetic. Oh, that's really yeah. silly. I don't think that, I think that's just our personal, that it has nothing to do with follower engagement or anything. Um, I don't think it matters at all. In fact, yeah, I think, it can. I think it's just a I, personal OCD. At least that's how I feel. <laughs> I yeah, it's both for me. Like I'm um I I don't shy away from the fact that like I am um I do have aspirations of hopefully one day being able to maybe turn this hobby into something that I could make money off of. And sometimes I feel like guilty there's about nothing, that. There's nothing wrong with that, man. I, I think you know, we live in a, a pretty cool time you know, um, where you can, you know, you have this little device, supercomputer in your pocket and you can make a living doing what you love from that. Um, you know, I never have high expectations for any kind of social media stuff, but I think it's, I think if, if you're a forward thinker and you, you know, you, you just, um, you aspire to always, you know, do what you're passionate about. And I think it's just sensible to, you know, move in that direction of, you know, maybe making, making a living, you know, even part-time from, you know, YouTube or what, whatever, podcasting, Instagram, you know, TikTok, although that's the low, low hanging fruit these days. Try to stay away from that place. I saw, I saw you went to the dark side on TikTok. I, I dude, I resisted it for so long. See, I and... got sucked in and I got spit out. I, I got, I had to delete it because it was just so addicting. It is. It's really but bad. I, I made a few super cheesy videos that were, you know, up with the trends and I just felt so embarrassed. <laughs> I never shared any of that shit on my uh, Instagram. I always hope that nobody ever sees it. <laughs> yeah, it um, it took me a while to finally just be like, all right, whatever. I mean, do do whatever you like and what you enjoy, and um, you know, TikTok has changed people's lives. You know, like one video, and you know, the next thing they know, they're you know they're leaving their their corporate job or whatever and um you know just making videos they get you know live life on their own terms and not doing the nine to five um yeah so that's not as you know important to me because i i really do enjoy what my job um but you know be always be nice to you know turn turn social media into something even more you know it's just and also, yeah. I, aside from, you know, um, being motivated by potentially making money from social media, I, I mean, 
I want a, a, a larger audience. I think it's perfect. I mean, it's egotistical to want to have a larger audience. I think if you're, if you're a photographer or you're in any sort of content creator, I mean, why wouldn't you want a bigger audience? We're social animals. Like the more people, the better. <laughs> and the more. Yeah. People- yeah. I think that it's pretty from, from a young age, like even just socially, I've, I've always, um, wanted to be noticed or heard and and uh it's kind of goofy to admit that but it's it's natural and um i think that if if you're i could go into this but um it's kind of frustrating to to want to really like actually produce genuinely valuable content that people can learn from and and that's good for the world and good for um, our natural world, particularly. And, uh, balancing that with entertainment. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's this weird that. fine line. Um, As if and you see, it's, it's so like discouraging spending and man, I spend so much time, money and effort on this Instagram page. And, uh, then you'll see somebody just waltz in post some super controversial ridiculous video or something like that and just blow up and and it can it can it can sting a little bit but uh honestly as long as you're as as long as your heart is in the right place and you keep you know sticking to your guns and and not falling to societal pressures to to do this or that i think uh it'll pay off in the end if you end up um you know, giving into these TikTok trends or, um, or, you know, whatever, and, and not yeah. being yourself as much. Um, I feel like it's not as valuable. I think, I think more and more people are going to get tired of the, of the cheesy, trendy, you know, fake shit and, and appreciate the, that's the authenticity. And that's part, part of my motivation to making this podcast is um, create an environment where people just like, be as be our true selves and um and you know not be super cookie cutter you know yeah i think that's i think that i I personally really appreciate authenticity and that's kind of my goal here um i think it always pays off in the end too to be always be your true self and you'll be happier for it yeah i'm i'm excited to see that you're um taking the plunge I've, I've always like seen you as somebody that had everything lined up in terms of like the ability to to really put yourself out there but um you were always just like so humble and didn't like it seemed like you just didn't try that much to to like create a successful instagram account or youtube channel or whatever you were just like genuinely more focused on on learning and and uh doing what you loved which was really cool but at the same time i'm i'm super pumped that you started this podcast and yeah. uh and uh it's it'll be i think it'll be a really cool thing to to yes. see how that how that plays out that the, stuff like that hearing stuff like that um is is the one thing that my ego feeds on <laughs> people saying I'm humble. That really means so much to me. Um, and I think the reason I like, I've always, you know, aspired to do YouTube and all these things, that, but it's hard for me. I'm kind of an introvert, but this podcast thing, I can, I can be myself and, you know, 
and, and highlight other people and, and kind of bring the attention to all these, you know, wide variety of naturalists and, you know, outdoors people that I, that I'm friends with and ask them questions. And, um, you know, if people listen to it, like I've, I've mentioned this before I, on the last episode, if people listen to it, that's great. Um, but regardless, I just, I love connecting with people. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a win-win, man. I, I'm here to meet people and, you know, I, I just like to get to know people. I, I'm, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and, you know, Joe Rogan's this controversial figure, but I, I appreciate his podcast because he's just getting to know people and it's a very genuine yeah. environment. And that's kind of, I really appreciate that. You know? Yeah. I mean, you can, I'm sure, I'm sure he said things that uh, people don't agree with, but at yeah. the end of the day, from what I've seen, he's, he's an open-minded person and he's, he can get down to just about anybody. I think he's got a good heart, you know, strip, yeah. strip your, you got to strip your politics away. And, 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 and I just, I now, nowadays I just try to, you know, um, judge people on the, on their character and um, cause you know, politics are so polarizing and That's something awesome. I hope to really avoid on here uh, <laughs> yeah. I, in my real life. I'll, I'll talk to anybody about anything. I'm, you know, um, to me, it's not taboo to talk about stuff like that, but here at unfortunately the environment we live in is so polarized i don't want to i don't want to make anybody feel excluded or, or push people away yeah i want i want both both sides of the spectrum of outdoors people to come here and uh, appreciate it you know hunters all the way to naturalists and conservationists um that's really something i'm really passionate passionate about is is uh, bridging the gap between hunters and you know, naturalist. There's a huge gap there, and it's really ridiculous. For my I opinion. know. I I, uh, I applaud you for that statement to to bridge the gap. I think that I'll be honest. Like like I said, I I never yeah. grew up in a grew up in with background. Yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't have an influence one way or the other, and just my genuine love for for animals, um, the emotion behind that, I think, pushed me uh towards perspective of like why why would you want to kill an animal right yeah. like when i when i really decided to be like okay i'm going to start this instagram page and i'm gonna like produce content for people i started taking it a little more seriously and being like all right i can't just like post whatever and make a bunch of assumptions i kind of got to research a little bit and make sure i at least like sound like i know what i'm talking about <laughs> and yeah. um in that in that process of, of, of learning, um, I definitely did a full 360 in terms of, I, I was never like anti-hunting ever, but, um, I now see the actual, the, the beauty in it. And yeah. I hope that doesn't offend anybody, but, um, yeah. I think that the pursuit of an animal is an instinctual and natural thing. That's, that's driven into us for a reason. And whether you're pulling a trigger or, clicking a button on your camera um it, it's it's very similar the the passion and, and the love for those animals i think yeah. that most hunters really are not that out there to just like kill an animal and laugh about it and be like haha i'm cool because yeah. i shot that in you know yeah it's uh it, you know i i did there was a time like i grew i did grow up with hunting and it was just always pretty normal to me and before I started to like study conservation biology and, and like, like before I went to AM, 
to study wildlife management and, you know, ecology and stuff. Before that, there was like a, a, a short period where I was like, I was still hunting, but I was like, there's a, I was, I was, this is what caused it. I was learning about the biodiversity crisis. We're basically in a, like this, what they're calling like the sixth mass extinction event because of the, you know, human influence on the, on the world. I'm like, how is this hunting? Like, surely this hunting isn't helpful at all. You know, her, hopefully, like, surely this is, this is not like good for the biodiversity crisis. <laughs> um, so I was really questioning my, my hunting practice. Um, but then I, you know, I learned when I went to school, um, you know, how, like how hunting is so closely managed by, by biologists, very qualified biologists with PhDs. Um, and hunting plays a, a critical role in, in funding conservation. And that's when I was like, well, this, and, and, you know, meeting biologists and, you know, naturalists and people that also hunt. And it's like, you know, it all actually goes together um, when you look at the big picture. Um, and but, you know, I still don't enjoy killing anything. Um, but yeah, hunting yeah. is very natural for me. Now, if there's ever a time where hunting, even under a, you know, a managed um, system, if, if, you know, say in 50 years from now, like, you know, when we're old someday, if, if the biodiversity crisis got to a point where hunting what we consider common game species now was bad, I would gladly stop. But in the current system mm -hmm. under the, the model of conservation that we operate under, where, you know, you buy a license and that when you buy that, that money goes into conservation. When you buy guns and ammo, the, there's, you know, a, a, like an excise tax, excise tax on that product that um, it's like 10% that goes into a conservation fund uh, via the Pittman-Robertson Act, the Robertson Act. Um, like all, there's all these, all the funding aspect of it. And then also, you know, managing these remnant ecosystems we have on the landscape, managing them with hunting to make sure there's not an overabundance of like say white-tailed deer in this, you know, post-oak savanna ecosystem that's surrounded by agriculture. Like they got to manage these, these remnant ecosystems uh, through hunting and, you know, prescribed burning and, you know, all the habitat management. Um, so under the current system, it's very important that we, you know, manage the landscape. If we were hands-off, like purist conservation, there would be a lot of biodiversity loss um, if we didn't manage ecosystems because we've changed the landscape so much, we've removed predators from the landscape. I say we, that was the, you know, the early settlers and, you know, people before us came here and you know, removed black bear from most of Texas and like jaguar and, you know, all these critical apex predators that kept our systems balanced are gone now. So, I mean, hunters kind of feel that niche and man managing ungulates and you know, herbivores in general. It's, it's the, and maybe, maybe this is a sad reality, but I agree. I think it's one of the only ways to sort of right the wrongs or try to, to make up for the mistakes we made in the first yeah. place, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it's not like for me, um, I don't, if I get into hunting and I, I kind of am starting to become more interested in it, I think I'd start to, out with you got, you, got your connection, you got your connection if you want to go hunting. I love getting people oh, yeah, into hunting. <laughs> I would I would love to I'd love to get shown around. Um, That's cool, man. That's cool. But yeah, it's it's um like when you look at feral hogs, like I think that 
it is a hundred percent our fault that they're here. I mean, yep. that's not even a, it's a not debate. You know, yeah, we, we brought them here and they're literally just trying to survive. Right. And it's, it's sad that we need to kill them. You know, yeah, it's, it's yeah. It, it sucks. But um, at the end of the day, it's, you have to choose the lesser of two evils and yeah, you know, we, we can't just allow the rest of our native wildlife to to suffer as a result of our own bad actions in the first place there's you know um it is our fault and it's unfortunate but the reality is we have to intervene now and one thing i really wish uh, would happen is all these like animal rights activists um these are very passionate people i just i wish they valued native biodiversity over individual animals you know rights or feelings because I think they, with that passion, they could do so much for the conservation of biodiversity, but instead they're focused on, you know, taking down hunting, which happens to be one of the primary ways we find conservation um, because they're so concerned that when they, and I, I can see how they feel when they, when they look at an animal, they're looking at like another being, another human, like, like they, they're just as empathetic for that animal as another human and i feel that way about certain animals some like a pet animal or animal i've worked within a zoo um i I know how they feel so i can see how it's weird it's just they can't imagine how somebody would want to kill another being you know another animal and you know that that is totally legitimate um but they i mean these people they don't understand ecosystems that's the problem we have to value ecosystems over that, that, you know, deep connection they have to like individual animals. I'm not saying like, that's, I feel the same way sometimes and I could put myself in their shoes. But if we really care about saving as many species as possible, including plants and, you know, fungi, fungi and every, the whole system, we have to, we have to put our emotions aside to be very successful um, in, in conserving biodiversity. And that's, that's a big thing I'm, I always get frustrated about um Mm -hmm. is you know people need to put that kind of passion into ecosystems for one because that saves more animals you know ironically um but also we like as society as a society we rely on ecosystems for the functions they give us like clean air and clean water and recreation and um, all you know nutrient cycling and healthy ecosystems are critical for our survival. And so, yeah, that, I just, I'm, when it comes to conservation, I, I like the ecosystem approach, the landscape level approach. Um, I think that's very important. Definitely. When, whenever I was living out in Nevada, um, I, I had some like random questions about some of the uh, burrows that I was seeing out there. And I got in touch with one of the, Nevada Department of Wildlife equine um, specialists, and and we we got to talking and, and kind of got into a subject like we're discussing now, and and it was really just like a bummer to hear how much they have to go through just to try to simply study the population size and and try to manage like a like they're literally not even allowed to attempt to manage a healthy population of feral horses that can coexist with native wildlife like bighorn sheep 
yeah. and and uh, you know all the rest of the the ungulates and stuff because there's these very emotionally driven activist organizations that are yep. literally pre- like making it essentially illegal i don't know if that's totally true but making it all nearly impossible for them to do what they love and nobody loves horses more than somebody that's that's doing that as their career and has spent their entire life and devoted it to that yeah. that species and uh and they're they're literally not allowed to do their job because yeah. people's emotions can so easily be manipulated a lot of times for profit and it's it's a huge bummer that that, that happens yeah yeah i'm but, not i don't know a whole lot about the horse issue out west but all i know is the, the horses there are worse off un, uh, under no management. Like they're starving to death because yeah. those, those, those prairies, those rangeland ecosystems cannot support that. Like they've exceeded carrying capacity for those systems. And so the, the horses are like, they're going to die either way. They're either going to starve or we can ethically manage them to keep them at carrying capacity so they can still be on the landscape, but uh, under you know, management that allows the entire ecosystem to thrive and also the horses to thrive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, vegetation and, and, and water yep. and other natural resources are just so scarce out there that yep. you, you can't support like a massive herd of like huge mammals. Um, mm-hmm. with and no predators, with no predators. Exactly. Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's interesting. There's a book, uh, it's called American Serengeti. I highly recommend it. Oh, I actually, I actually read that. Yeah. So in, in that book, they, um, kind of controversial, um, the author, he truly believes that we should be reintroducing horses back on the landscape throughout the Midwest and the great, you know, the great plains. And because they, they were, a, you know, a part of the ecology in North America. Um, in fact, I think horses evolved here. I think that this is their place of origin. If I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, the problem I have with that, and this was bad, you know, a long time, you know, 10,000 plus years ago when they were, you know, a large part of the, the fauna here. Um, but the problem with that is we don't, we don't have the predators that there were around back then. I mean, back then when there were horses, you know, on the landscape here, there were, you know, lion-like cats and, you know, you know, like bear and like so many more huge predators that can keep them at, you know, carrying capacity. So to me, it would just be weird to like, intentionally restore horses in some areas you know they're they're going to be in certain areas out west i understand but um you know if it was me personally i would just remove them all together because well maybe they are t- uh technically native the horses that are have, are out there now aren't aren't the same species they're you know a different lineage is my understanding and we don't have the native predators to manage them anymore and it just doesn't make sense to me i think it would be It'd be better off without them in some of those areas yeah um, we should not, focus more on bison if it comes to when it comes to a large large herbivore um, did so i'm sure you must have seen unbroken that ben masters film at some point now um wait what's it uh, or sorry un, unbranded 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 i was yeah, about to say i was yeah, like yeah. it's unbranded yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i watched it it was really good yeah, that was a that was a cool film. How how was what was your time with him like? I I that guy's oh, yeah, like awesome. my that guy's like a celebrity to me. I'm like he is 
Dude, when it's I, the, the way <laughs> it was really funny. I, I uh, same here. I, I've always like when I, I I learned about him when I was at going to school at A and M. He came and he's doing the wild film tour. Um, he was uh, presenting several short films he produced. One of them was kind of a a little overview of the the river and the wall. Um, that was mm-hmm. kind of what how I learned about him was through that that film was the river and the wall. And he came to A and M and I was like, man, that'd be be so cool to get in with those guys like what they do is so <laughs> badass i was like that's a life goal i gotta i gotta get in with these these videographers these wildlife filmmakers at some point in my career i was like you know i was thinking you know maybe decades from now i would somehow get my foot in the door i, I don't know i mean obviously i would never you know just give up being a biologist to you know do wildlife film but i, I would love to you know i love to be involved with that kind of stuff and yeah. uh, one day on Instagram, I was, uh, you know, I follow him on Instagram and he posted something and I can't remember what it was, but I like commented and he like responded. I had commented before and you know, he has a lot of followers, whatever. Um, but whatever I said, I like caught his attention and he like followed me back and he was, you know, looking through my Instagram and stuff. And like a week later, he, he messaged me um, about filming in the big thicket because he saw I was from the area and uh, he was telling me, you know, He's going to the big thicket and he, he's looking for, you know, local people, local naturalists to help them, you know, look for, look for snakes and, you know, critters in general. And I was like, holy shit, this is so cool. <laughs> like I'm in, man. I'll, I'll, tell me when, where I'll take off cloud, skip class, whatever. And uh, yeah, so I, you know, I met him out in, in the big thicket, him and uh, some other really great and, you know, very well-known uh, cinematographers, um, one of them, this guy Skip, I can't remember his last name, uh, but Skip, he's done stuff for like Nat Geo, and you know he's oh, wow. like he's in the big, big time, yeah, wildlife filmmaking world, and um, it was really eye opening watching how a how a, a nature documentary is filmed. It's you know it, it, it it'll, you'll get a little jaded when you watch a, a a nature documentary after you see how what goes on behind the scenes because it you know it's rarely ever especially with small you know, invertebrates and herbs and stuff, it's hard to get them in situ, you know? Yeah. Obviously, you know, a lot of the stuff that they film is in situ with megafauna and fish and stuff, but a lot of it, you know, just it has to be, you know, kind of manipulated a little bit. Um, but the, the amount of, like, the creativity and the, like, the attention to detail that they put into this stuff, it's really impressive. Um, mm. Like, these... These guys really know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was uh, it was a really cool experience getting to hang out with them, and um, it was particularly special for me getting to help you know help with a film that's you know highlighting a part of the world where I'm really where I grew up and I'm really passionate about. Um, it's definitely up there for things I'm very pr- proud of. You know, getting to help with that, although my involvement is very minimal. Um, was you know getting out there and you know helping and you know, finding critters and helping you know you know stage them and stuff was was a really cool experience and did, did they did they have anything in particular that they like would have liked to have found and and you guys had to settle or did you go out there yeah, they just they were going for diversity um okay. as many invertebrates and herbs and whatever and they did a lot of landscape um shoots as well trying to capture the big thicket you know ecology in general the piney woods and the the bottomland hardwoods and um 
Yeah, I'm I'm and, super excited for that. Yeah, I'm so um, pumped! I cannot so, wait. <laughs> like they they, I'm almost jealous. Like I'm almost like, dang, they did it. You know, they're they're showing the world how cool Texas is, and and not yeah. just not just Texas, but just how cool wildlife in general. Yeah, it's it's uh it's really awesome what they're doing. Did you did you meet Austin Rios? I met him um when I went back out and met them in the in West Texas. I got to meet him. Nice. Yeah, I he's I a, just happened to just happened to meet that guy in a hot spring in Big Bend one day. Uh it was during college and and in college I had this like deep like insecurity about the fact that I'd never found a Western diamondback rattlesnake because um, <laughs> they're like super common. And I just like yeah. never did you grow up in, in Houston. So, so yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I think I was taking summer classes and I like skipped a class and was like, you know, left for the weekend on a Thursday night. And my goal was like, I'm going to go find a rattlesnake. And uh, mm. at some point along the way, I was, I was in a hot spring and, this dude is just chilling and he was, yeah, super cool guy. We were just chatting it up and he had a camera and he was photographing some things and, and he invited me to the, um, I believe they call it the hands across the border uh, event that they hold down in Terlinguist, Texas, which yep. just coincidentally, I happened to be there at the right time. And so yes. um, that was you know, is I can like, get into that. That was a really cool thing. Is that but, where you, uh, pe- uh, people from Mexico come across and they have like a little celebration yep. together? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, That's cool. And th- that was super sweet. But he, uh, I didn't realize like totally who he was until yeah. maybe like a year later. And I was like, oh, well, I was, I was uh, talking to the to one of the best. <laughs> that, so when was this? Um, this would have been my junior year of college. So maybe like 2018, 2017, something like yeah. that. Cool. Yeah. It's yeah. Small world. That's a very small world, you know, running. Into yeah. Him. Although he, I guess he works out there. So it's not totally unheard of. Yeah. At the time, I think he was doing rafting guides. Yeah. He's, and, guy. yeah. Yeah. he's um, I didn't get to hang out with him much. Um, when I was out in Big Ben, but um, we did chat for a little bit, and he's a really cool dude. Um, everybody that's involved with Deep in the Heart or, or Finn and Fur Productions, you know, they're all they're a good group in general. Um, everybody's yeah. just all all good vibes all around. I mean, they get to do cool shit every day. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they were just all the time. Too. There's something wrong with them. <laughs> Um, man, it, it, hanging around them, it, it's, it's uh, you know, I, I love what I do. Uh, I feel like sticking with this consulting thing is, is meaningful. And, and I just, I was at, there's a conference over the past couple of days I've been attending and it really opened my eyes. And I realized how valuable it is that, you know, very, really passionate biologists are in this side of um, conservation. But when I'm hanging around Ben and them, I'm like, man, they got a cool job. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'd uh, I do that. I'm, I'm like, if I ever had the opportunity to do that, I wonder if I would do it. But it's, it's, you know, it's, it's tough. It's hard work, you know. Um, it's not all fun and games, and you know, they're. Um, I imagine that you know every year, got to find projects, and you know, like, 
I'm sure it can get tough. It's not at times. It's not all fun and games. It's like any other job. Yeah, it's it's probably um, but well worth it in the end, especially when they do. They, they they're the ones that reap the rewards of taking the risk, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a chance that you put thousands and thousands of dollars in a year or two of your life into something that flops completely, and um, yeah. so. You know, you got to risk it, and they, they deserve to to enjoy what they do and and yeah. uh, beat the guys. You know, yeah, it's um, it, yeah, it's it's really cool. Uh, but man, they, they like the camera gear, like just the the act labor of what they do. You know, they're when I was out in at Elephant, Elephant Mountain, um, helping them shoot deep in the heart. Austin was his job was to go out and film bobcats all day and. He's like out in the heat all day filming, trying to like call in Bobcats. I'm like, damn, that it's badass, but I'm sure. I mean, that got old. <laughs> Spending eight hours in the desert, seeing nothing at all with the long ones. And like, yeah. you got to carry this gear up mountains and it's like, they, you, you got to be in shape to do what they do. And, um, I mean, the, the, the cameras and the, all the gear, the, the tripods, it's like, you know, it's hard work and, you know, they're spending a lot, like a lot of hours in the field and, um, you know, for every good shot they get that you see in a film, there's so many hours, but behind that to get that one scene and, yeah. uh, what really makes you appreciate the, the final product. Um, if you know what, you know, actually went into that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know just from the little bit that I do that, um, you can put in a ton of effort and <laughs> getting very and little. <laughs> so I, can, I wonder if you take an average herper and calculated the amount of gas they spent. I don't, don't want to know. I don't <laughs> want to know a number that we are uncomfortable with. <laughs> it's a, it's bad. You know, it's definitely, <laughs> if we're talking financially speaking, it's definitely bad, but uh, yeah. That's why it's worth taking notes and trying to optimize your time out in the field. That way you're not wasting time and money. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm trying to be a little – like when I first – especially when I, when I first moved out to Vegas, it was just like I had no chill. Like I was just, just going, going, going every single time, right? And yeah. then um, I'm kind of at a point where like – I've got a little more responsibility now. And so I have to be a little more selective yeah. uh, about when I go out and, and, uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the, the location I'm living now, which is just right off of spring Creek, which I'm sure you, you grew yeah. up around as well. And so uh, it's nice that I'm, I'm not having to drive every single time I want to go out and, and uh, yeah. graph wildlife and stuff. I can, can run out in my, um, you know, behind my backyard and do it. So yeah, that's something I'm, I'm proud of and, and glad that uh, I was able to make it through college and, and get a job so that I could uh, be able to, to live where I, where I wanted to live, which was, yeah. um, you know, near, near wildlife. Yeah. Do you miss Vegas? Surely you do. I definitely do. Like um, coming back to Houston was the, was the smart decision because just for the company that I work for, that's where they're headquartered and that's where I'll be able to learn. 
more rapidly um, and have more opportunities. And my friends and family are here. It's yep. a cheaper cost of living. I'm not traveling on planes every time I have to, you know, visit somebody, but um, I miss the freedom of it a ton. Like I, I feel like my whole life I've had this deep desire, like even from a little kid, like I would, I like wanted to run away a lot, not even because <laughs> anything was going wrong, but just cause like I wanted to just I get out it. and go, you know? Yeah. Um, and and that was way. sort of, this sort of my, uh, my, I was living that, that dream for a little bit there where like I graduated college, barely made it through that. You know, I, I did all the grunt work and the studying and everything. And I was like, okay, I earned it. Now I can go live yep. somewhere that I want to live. And, uh, I just took off and, and went out there and, uh, for two years, just, um, well, you know, I, I was, I was definitely also the, the, priority was work, but, um, I, I put a ton of effort and time into that and I, I loved every bit of it. It was, it was really fun. You know, one thing I've, I've noticed, um, geography matters a lot when it comes to social media success. You still there? Yeah. Sorry. Somebody, one of my buddies just like tried to FaceTime. Oh. Me. I've, I've, you know, I've been following, following you since you made that page. Um, and you know, depending on where you live and the, and the types of animals you have access to, it, it like makes a difference uh, on when it comes to follower engagement, don't you think? Yeah. Big time. There, you're able to photograph these beautiful landscapes and all these cool snakes and megafauna and that, you know, a lot of people find more interesting than Houston herps. And you're Definitely. still producing what I consider quality content because I appreciate the herbs and stuff here. But um, it certainly seems like like when you were out there, when you made that page, it like grew really fast because you had you're able to explore these these ecosystems and, and, and photograph this wildlife that, you know, a lot of people found you know more compelling. And it's uh, it's a little more work to get people interested in, in you know, Southeast Texas. <laughs> wildlife. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're totally true. I've kind of yeah. like, honestly, hit well, a little bit. You're sticking to your guns, though. You're sticking to your guns. I appreciate that. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm still doing it. Every, every once in a while, I get to a point where I feel like I'm kind of going through the motions because you're right. You know, I did, um, and that, that was all like very effortful and, and calculated. What I, what I, the, the growth of that page. Like yeah. I put, I, I think I put a lot more effort into um, putting myself out there in terms of like, I was on a schedule where every day I would be sort of targeting an audience and like reaching out to people and liking posts of things that were similar to what I had just posted. And like, yeah. I was, it was almost like a second job. And yeah. I was just so excited and like new and, and just full of all this, uh, you know, um, passion because it was just really new and exciting. Yeah. And so that yeah. coupled with the fact that it was, it was a little bit easier, well, a lot of bit easier out there. I mean, you, you just go outside of Vegas and take a landscape photo and it's going to look pretty cool. Even if you don't take that great of a shot <laughs> Yeah. where out here, you know, you don't have these like, incredible uh mountains and that's, um that's where guys like 
Mad Buckingham really shine. He's, you know, he's located in the Piney Woods. And if you ever, like, if you follow him or if you look at his Flickr stuff, I mean, he, he makes the East Texas Piney Woods look like the beautiful, diverse landscape that it is, ecosystem that it is. Um, but it's just how he, how he captures these, these ecosystems. It's really inspiring. Um, you just have, yeah. to know where to, you have to know where to look and you have to know what you're looking at to really appreciate an area like East Texas or Southeast Texas, you know. Um, but certainly, you know, most people are going to be more excited about mountain mountains and, you know, uh, these big, big dramatic landscapes, which it's awesome. I, I almost never go to like the Rocky mountains and not that I'm against it. I just, I'm always drawn to areas with the highest biodiversity. So if I'm going to go to mountains, I want to go to the Davis mountains in East Texas. I mean, in West Texas where there's cool rattlesnakes and, you know, herb diversity. Um, that's why, you know, I, you don't find me in like Colorado much or New Mexico, but I, I do want to go to those areas and I do appreciate beautiful landscapes but I'm not, I like diversity. I like biodiversity. I, I think it's, um, it's, it's worth your while to go. I was a big Colorado yeah. guy for a while, um, just mainly because of skiing and downhill yeah. longboarding. Um, that was another big hobby of mine. It kind of, yeah. kind of replaced herping when yeah. I was in high school, but, um, they, they do have some some really great opportunities to see wildlife like the moose and the elk. Oh no doubt the, the, the megafauna. Stuff, but... The megafauna is is what will get me out there. And there's some neat yeah. you know montane yeah. birds and. But yeah, I want to go photograph but elk and moose and. I do find myself like when I went on my Alaska trip, and I didn't even really like think of think that much into it. And it totally makes sense as to why there are not snakes out there, but like. I'm so bummed when I came to that realization, like I'd already planned the trip and I was like, okay, uh, you know, now it's time to start researching like the animals and what I'm going to find. And I was like, wait, do they even have snakes? And I looked it up and <laughs> they have like literally zero snake species. And I was like, no, there's very few herps at all. I think there's like wood frogs maybe. Yeah. I forget who told me this. Um, he was a he's a Vegas guy, really cool uh, birder and herper. Um, I feel really bad for not remembering his name, but he yeah he told me I think there's literally like one, one herp, one in, frog, yeah in Alaska. I think, I think there's, I think there's a couple actually. Yeah, no, maybe well it was know. like it might have been a a specific. Reptile there's, a, there's a there's a toad there's a, there's a toad native, I think, and then then there's a frog. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think there's any salamanders, no, no lizards, no snakes. But golly, that that is like, like a wild place. <laughs> I want to go hunting there really bad. I did a um, a grizzly bear tour out there that was just like really, really, really cool. Um, yeah, one of the most one of the most incredible experiences in my life, getting to really yeah. experience those animals. Um, yeah. Someone I've wanted for a long time but yeah alaska was everything i expected it would be and then some you know I, I i knew it would be it would be really cool but just the immensity of the rocky mountains out there it's it's not like the rocky mountains in the states it's just yes. everything is so much bigger 
Yeah. Um, and so much more untamed and vast. Uh, just really cool. Hopefully it remains vast and, and wild. <laughs> it is the last frontier. And uh, yeah. I hope it, I hope it doesn't change, you know, too much. Yeah. So you've, you've traveled there. Have you been out of the country? Only um, ever to Canada and Mexico. I went to oh, yes. Canada on a road trip uh, with some of my buddies yeah. on like a month long road trip. And then I have been to Canada or sorry, Mexico just a few times for like fun vacation, vacations and stuff. Yeah, man, Mexico. It's, it's um, honestly Mexico. It has some of the coolest biodiversity in the world. It's like, right. When you go to Brownsville, you're like a couple, a couple hours from these amazing rattlesnake species. And there's, I mean, there's like, like orchids are there. Like so many orchids are there. So many rattlesnake species, lizards, like, like a bronia. Dude, it's like one of the coolest places in the world. And, but like most of us are too scared to like go really explore it. <laughs> yeah. They've got everything pretty. They've got at least everything we have or a cooler version of it. And, and then like all these other things. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, like, yeah, like there's the rattlesnake diversity, king snake diversity. They got alligator lizard diversity, but then there's, you know, a bunch of other, other groups of reptiles that we don't have that are really unique. Um, it's, it's, I, for me, it's, it's, I think it's at the, at the top of my list. If I can explore anywhere in the world, I would want to go there to, to like certain parts of Mexico to see some of these rattlesnakes and lizards and like the orchids. There's like so many orchid species there. It's insane to me, but all the cool areas are supposedly really dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've heard some stories. I think, uh, I think one of these days I'll, I'll do it um, yeah. and just roll the dice. But for the most part, I think, um, I don't know, but one of the, I think one of the coolest things about Mexico is that they're still they're still discovering new species out that's, there. That's you know? the it's like, it's, there's that um, it's a herp uh, herp MX. I think this is their page on Instagram. It's like some research group yeah. down there. They're always describing a new lizard or a new snake. It seems like there's cool salamanders too down there, like insane looking salamanders. Um, yeah, it's. I always think, I always think about Mexico. It's like, it's like, it's right there. Like we're yeah. in Houston. We're both in Houston. Um, yeah. It's like five, six hours away. It's kind of funny. We're doing this over zoom. We could have done this in person. We live like <laughs> 10 minutes from each other. Don't. Yeah. Don't you live somewhere? <laughs> off spring spring. Well? I live yeah. on Cypress Creek actually, but I'm like, you know, okay. five, 10 minutes from spring Creek. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we keep talking about it, but we'll definitely need to get out sometime. Yeah. We need to go go get some buttermilk racers. Yeah. They're all over the place here. I saw one. There's a little green belt along Cypress Creek, and I saw one hauling ass through the woods um, a couple weekends ago, but I didn't catch it. Yeah. I've only got They're, one this season. I've seen, like, two or three, but I was only able to yeah. photograph one. I remember one of your YouTube videos, you found one when we were kids. It only had oh, yeah. specs on it. It was a young one. It barely had any specs on it yet. That was like that. the pin, that was like the peak of my herping. I, <laughs> I, I you found a I lot tried, of water snakes. Like, dude, all I could find was water snakes. Yeah, that's and how they, we all. That's how I started out. 
it's just like the easier way to herp. You just like walk along a river and you're going to probably see a water snake. And so, yeah. um, that, that was just what I did for a really long time. And, uh, I think at some point I finally realized like, okay, if I want to find something else, I got to try a different habitat. Yeah. And me and my buddy, we just, um, good friend of mine, lifelong friend. Yeah. We, we were really trying to, to find something different yeah. and just happened to stumble upon that buttermilk racer. And I remember like just freezing in my tracks and being like, this is it. This is the moment. Don't, and, you, miss, uh, don't you miss that feeling? that kid like kid exploring at the outdoors and finding a new species of snake yeah man it kind of sucks like everything was so much more exciting when you're young when i found my first mud snake i was like 14 dude i was i just can't explain the feeling of that it was euphoric it was it was like the best feeling i've ever experienced in my life (laughs) <laughs> you know, I remember yeah. watching. Did you ever uh, watch Ori Martin's videos on YouTube? Yeah, yeah. So he, he, I, I looked up to him a lot when I was a kid. And he's, you know, he was a good mentor for me. He, he literally, I only knew him from YouTube, and he saw my only video. I had this snake hook that uh, it was like a makeshift snake hook. I, um, I like took a like a hook you, like you know the hooks, the hooks you drill into your like garage wall to like hang stuff on. I drew it into a stick. And that was my I snake know. hook. Um, I, I started out with a clothes hanger snake hook. Clothes, and, yeah, clothes hanger. And he, he mailed me a snake hook, like an, <laughs> a real snake hook. No way. Kid. Like I was just like, it was such a big deal for me. But I remember his, um, his mud snake video is really what got me onto mud snakes. And that was like the snake to find. I'll never, and the one he had the video of, it was deep red, ventral. Like it was beautiful and I remember I was out fishing in this pond, real clear water, right off of I-10, actually. Like, I think when they were building I-10, they must have dug it out for the dirt to build it up. So it's been there a long time and sitting there fishing for for bluegill and stuff. And I saw this black snake cruising along the bottom in about three foot of water. And I jumped in and I missed it. It's like, damn, I thought it was like a crayfish snake or something. Although it was behaving oddly. I, I wouldn't expect a crayfish snake to just, and it was kind of big too. And like 30 minutes later, same thing happened. I don't know if it was the same snake or a different one, but I jumped in and I, I grabbed it. And I was like, I immediately sensed that it was, it felt different, you know, smooth scales. I like pick it up out of the water and I just saw, saw the red just, just exploding out at me. I was like, like fucking mud snake. Like my friends thought I was crazy. I was like fucking mud snake, like screaming with joy, cussing and like that was the one of the coolest experiences of my childhood was like finding my life for mud snake like that. Um, and every every mud snake I find is it, it's similar. I still get really hyped about it. Um, although now I only find them road cruising, which is not as fun. Like when I was like most of the mud snakes I found when I was before I could drive, I would just be hiking along a ditch and I would see one, you know, cruising along the bottom, and that's really exciting. But that's Man, I, I think people ask me what my favorite snake is in Southeast Texas. And I went on my, or my favorite snake in general. Um, I think a mud snake is probably my favorite. I said, I say timber sometimes, but I think a mud snake gets more out of me. I get more pumped up about a mud snake. I, uh, 
I can't say I haven't seen one yet. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of snakes I just haven't seen yeah. yet. Well, you took uh, that that long break, you know, when you when you went off to college and stuff. Yeah, man, I I regret like not being more into it when I was in high I don't school. Think you should have had any regrets, man. Life life just goes on. Everything happens. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of cheesy, but I think as a matter of the human experience literally everything happens for a reason. Like everything you do will influence the next moment in your life. So I don't think you should have any regret. You know, you are where you are now, perhaps because of your app, you know, your absence in the field herping side of things through college. Yeah. I think you should, you shouldn't regret that at all. True. And it it is kind of fun to be able to come back to Houston with like all these lifers that I now I'm jealous. I'm going to come get you. I'm jealous that you have, have mud snake to go, experience your life or yeah. experience with um my main one is the pygmy i, I, I should be, have seen one by now uh, i have nothing to say for myself but i do i do hope i get one in my hometown it'll be more special for me so i've been kind of i don't hit the same houston as much um i have hit gus for him but i always hope that i don't find one deep down i hope i get my life or in my home county <laughs> it's kind of silly but it would just it would be no, more special it. for me it'd be more special yeah i agree like uh i went to louisiana a few times and um same thing with the cane break i was like i'd really like to find one in sam houston yeah uh, which i did so I was, I was happy about that yeah man you were cruising it right you cruised it right yeah, yeah, just cruise it right up. Um, that was sort of my approach. Like again, I I work from eight a.m. to five p.m. So hiking them is is sadly just like not the most efficient way. It's to, not very efficient to do you it. Put, you so, have to put some hours in to, to hike them. Yeah, and at it the, can at be the right very, it's very rewarding. Um, the only time I've hiked up timbers was in uh, Louisiana, or that was the first time. I hiked up one, actually, this year. But it was, you know, it was in, like, a like a trash pile. It was almost like going to a flip site, you know. But hiking them up in Louisiana, we hiked for, like, four hours, and we finally saw one. And it was pretty cool seeing a, a, a timber out basking in the woods. But, you know, it's a lot of effort. And that, and that part of Louisiana, they're really common, and we still had to hike for hours to get one. Um, and those, you know, several people looking. It's a neat experience, but it's not efficient. Yeah. Didn't they get delisted as Mm -hmm. protected? Mm -hmm. They were delisted last year. Um, Indigos were delisted. Um, My, my, my first reaction was um, I was disappointed, but truthfully, you know, when it comes to delisting, there is some value in it because that species is doing well i mean they they're kind of they they do rely on you know quality bottomland forest habitat but you know in certain parts of east texas they seem to do fine in like pine plantations too in fact i think most of the timbers i've seen were coming out of pine plantation so that that type of habitat surprisingly supports them um I think they do take a large hit from road mortality. I see so many DOR. I can only imagine because, you know, my yeah. anecdotal experience is that you know, I see a bunch of them, but just imagine on a landscape scale on a, on an annual basis, it's gotta be a large number of timbers to get hit. Um, but, you know, if you could just look at iNaturalist, they are still doing pretty well 
across the eastern third of Texas. And um, when they make those decisions, they're basing it off of nowadays, they're basing it off, basing it off of good data. Um, they even use iNaturalist data in those decisions. Um, and they get, you know, all the, you know, people that, like all the herpetologists and people that know about Texas herps together and they, you know, they make those decisions. And um, I don't think it's going to result in more people killing them. I know it may be, but honestly, people killed them anyway. And then exactly. never get I don't think <laughs> nobody knows that they were protected in the first place, unless you're kind of like into wildlife. Yeah. So, and when they put, you know, when they were listed originally, I, I mean, I don't, a lot of those listings, my understanding is they weren't really based off of data. That was, it was kind of like herper intuition. Like, it seems like this species habitat is declining and we see them all dead on the road. And, you know, you only find them, you don't find them, you know, all throughout their range anymore. They're kind of sticking to the areas with more, you know, large swaths of forest. Um, so like the, the intuition was they, I guess they should be listed. Um, but the, the good part about delisting them is it allows a lot, it allows, um, you know, the state to focus more on the species that really need attention. You know, the species that really are on, on the brink of, you know, being critically endangered. Um, and that's kind of the, that's the whole, to me, that's the whole point. Like, and like indigo snakes were delisted as well. And I mean, with indigos, there are huge private ranches in South Texas. Like South Texas is dominated by these massive private ranches that nobody has access to. So they're never going to be collected in a way that's detrimental um, because there's such a little access to their habitat. So, I mean, it, it makes sense that they've been delisted. Um, and, you know, it allows those species that are more imperiled to, to get more attention, I guess. Um, that, that's my that, understanding. That's I good to hear. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about it to. I don't to, either. I, I know people that have, that go to those meetings when they're making these decisions. And that's the vibe I get is, you know, if, if these species are actually in reality more common than we thought, you know, a decade ago or, you know, two decades, whenever they were listed and they're, you know, they're thriving and doing well. And, you know, it makes sense to delist them and you know focus on the species that really need a lot of attention you know that's that's good to hear that's a a weight off my shoulders i was pretty i was, I was pretty weird. jacked up about the timbers at first because in my head i'm like gosh these these animals that they get they just get tore up on roadways and you know you can only find them in areas with you know pretty extensive forested habitat um and just it seemed seems like they're not doing well um, but, you know, if you look at the data, if you look at iNaturalist, I mean, they're, they're okay, I think. I think, so, I think we'll be fine. And if it gets to the point, like, you know, in a couple of years from now, if, um, if it looks like in the data that the trend is they're declining, put them back on a state threatened yeah. list and um, take the necessary action to prevent the, that decline. I have this, like, this goal, and it's probably not feasible. Um, of finding one in my hometown of the Woodlands, Texas, and I've seen them on iNaturalist. They're around as man. That's... far down as like 1488. So like yeah. it's not impossible. Not impossible, um, but it's it's tough. Unlikely, but it would yeah. be really cool. It would be. I don't know where I would look. I mean, there's that um 
that state forest. What's it called? WG Jones. WG Jones. But I don't. I doubt they're there. I uh, yeah, I don't think so either. You have to go on the outskirts of the urban. Like you'd have to go to like the urban wildland interface, like yeah. at the outskirts of that development around the woodlands, and maybe get one in in some area around there. You know, if anything, there's there's maybe maybe a population on some private property somewhere, but, you know, or, or some uh, you know riparian or stream corridor that connects to the Sam Houston forest that comes down into the woodlands. Maybe target those areas. Yeah, they could be hanging hanging out in those bottomlands that haven't been as disturbed. Yeah, but they're uh man, they just they, they're a snake that doesn't do well around people, and I do think in the future as more development creeps into east texas and just you know around the timber rattlesnakes range in general i think we will see declines that warrant them to be listed again because they just they don't do well around a lot of people that's one thing that's very clear to me there is a population south of houston but it's in an area where there's a bunch of bottomland forest that's been set aside it's a part of the San Bernard refuge. It's protected. Oh, yeah. So it's not as, you know, there's not as much human presence, but you was know, it, urban expansion I, is. I listened to your, um, it wasn't, it was a croc something, something podcast. Crockcast. Like, yeah. The croc cast. And yeah, that, you were, that was the podcast that inspired me to create my own podcast oh, this cool. last week. This was like, it was last week or the week before. Right. Yeah, yeah. This whole podcast thing is very, very new for me. I literally just went on there and I was <laughs> like I said, I kind of just follow my passion wherever it leads. <laughs> I there you go. I, I like it. You don't yeah. a lot of a lot of people spend a lot of time like planning and 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 yeah. uh formulating and yeah. Especially when it comes you know, to there's like, a place, like, there's a time and a place for that for sure. Yeah, I think um I think for the most part just getting some some something out there is when you really start learning and uh and yeah, yeah you'll maybe make some bad videos or bad photos or whatever maybe so you were listening to the crawcast yeah yeah and uh you had mentioned that there i think it's in like south east texas maybe in the area you just described where you can find western diamondbacks and timbers in the same habitat yeah. is that Brazoria County, you know, you, you can find both species, maybe not in like the same exact habitat. I may have been stretching the truth a little bit. <laughs> I really meant. No, but same, still like just the, the fact that area. I'm sure there better. is a spot where they live truly sympatrically, but um, there are several counties around uh, Texas, but Brazoria is the main one that I can think of. Matagorda County too. You can timber rattlesnakes and, and Aatrox can be found pretty close to each other. Um, there, there is a habitat there, like, you know, Western diamondbacks are not going to be found in a, uh, you know, a, you know, a forested habitat with a canopy. I find that so weird that like they're a species that's just so widespread and can pretty much figure it out, like wherever, whether it's on the beach or in like super deserts, but like not, Forest. Forest. I, I don't know. I don't get it's it. It's just you know they. I well, there are areas in Oklahoma where they're in forested habitats, huh. where like you can actually. I think in Oklahoma you can truly find them side by side, if I'm not mistaken, in eastern Oklahoma and Arkansas. 
which is like badass. I would love to see that. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But if, so, okay. from, if there are, if there are any do... Oklahoma herpers or Arkansas herpers that are listening, correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> but my understanding is uh, Atrox and, and Hortus can be found on like the, the same uh, mountainside and forested habitat and in cool. certain areas, which is, I never was that interested in Oklahoma, but I've been working up there a little bit over the past two years and, you know, visiting. Pretty cool. It's like up yeah. there, places I really need to spend more time in. It's got a cool. I've, I've neglected. I've neglected Oklahoma. I've skipped it and gone up to Arkansas a couple times. Arkansas uh, is also really cool for herbs. Yeah, yeah. Salamanders, uh, interesting herb diversity where you get you get typically western species in the same areas as eastern species, which I really that's why I like Texas so much is you get that sort of situation where you can find plants and animals from both of the major biomes in the U.S., like the Western deserts and the Eastern forests intermingling. And yeah. The, eco, the ecotones and the, and the unique communities that form. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, ah, it's, it's, it's a really cool world we live in. And uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I have this weird thing where I, I love to see people succeed and I'm, I'm, uh, really happy to see economic growth um but at the same time i, I it's weird like I, I live two lives uh i actually yeah. work in an industry that directly profits off of development we also yeah. do a lot of retrofit and uh yeah but but it, it's, it's the same the time the world. passion for conservation yeah. well like, i appreciate people like you that recognize that but they also realize that like these jobs are going to be there regardless, uh, you know, like you might as well, you know, enjoy a, a, a life of, you know, economic freedom. And, but you can still recognize the, the, the harm in some of these industries, you know, it doesn't make you a hypocrite. That's the point. Yeah. No, I, I truly believe that there is a place for both. Yeah. Um, that, that we, we can, can coexist. We, we can and, coexist. It, and that's one thing I've come to learn about the consulting world is basically what it's all about is, you know, when there's a big project that's going to have an influence on the landscape, we just, our job, well, our primary job is to, you know, get them through environmental compliance and clearance. Yeah. But, but the, the whole point of like the, the Clean Water Act and the Migratory Bird Treaty Act and the Endangered Species Act, which are, are the types of environmental laws that you know give me work um like that's the whole point of a environmental consultant is to get through that environmental process via those laws it's to build and and um it's to build these these pipelines and um these these projects in a way that is um better for the wildlife like like I, i've only worked on one pipeline project and the whole like we you know we just go out there and our job is to find wetlands and wherever we find wetlands the pipeline goes around it like they don't want to go through the wetland for one because they're gonna have to pay for it if they damage that wetland then they got to buy wetlands elsewhere and that's going to cost them money so like there's a financial incentive but that's that's the beauty of the clean water act um these these types of environmental policies ensure that any sort of construction is done in a way that is, you know, giving us the best outcome possible for the environment. And 
that's why it's, you know, it's important work. Um, yeah. Some people, I think that's, I think it's, it's a super cool career path that you're taking. Um, yeah. It's not one I thought I was going to take. I, I never knew much about it. Um, I always thought I was going to work for like, you know, parks and wildlife or something, but. Well, it sounds right. like there could also be um, some good money in it too. Uh, yeah, well, and- that's, that's the primary reason most biologists resort to consulting is for financial reasons. Um, it's, it's a little, a little more lucrative than working for a state or federal agency. And especially you don't really have to have, um, you know, uh, like a grad, uh, you know, a master's or a PhD to get into this stuff. And a lot of those higher paying jobs with state federal agencies, you have to, and which is good. Um, but with like consulting it, it's, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of biologists avoid it because they don't want to, they don't want to work for, they don't want to do projects for oil and gas or, you know, these construction companies. Um, I think it's like we were talking about earlier, you have to put your emotions aside. And if you do your job well, you're ensuring that these projects are done in a way that is as, as um, you know, it's least destructive as possible. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a really uh, a noble path. And what one thing I've always kind of told myself um, so that I don't feel guilty is that I have the opportunity to have an influence on an industry that might not otherwise ever really think about or care. And so if I, you know, do really devote myself to this um, career path and, and stick with it and find myself in a position of influence or, or management, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be in a position to, do things maybe a little bit differently, like, environment, little like sustainably like pro environment uh, type stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, that's, a, that's a good that's, way to put that's it. That's a yeah. goal of mine, definitely. Awesome. And that you know, like big, big companies that are are their leadership is pro environment. That's so that's so critical. You know, they can they because they can they can throw resources at like the Nature Conservancy. You know, and you know stuff like that. Like, when you have a lot of money, you can do a lot of good for, for concert, for the, for wildlife and native ecosystems. And to be completely honest, I think that, um, times are changing and trends are shifting and, and, yeah. uh, corporate social responsibility is like something that more and more companies not only are interested in, but need to be interested in otherwise. Cause it gives uh, them a, it gives rumors. them more value if they care about the environment. Exactly. There's, a, there's, mean, a, there's, a, there's an acronym for it. Do you know about it? It's like, um, there's like a, a value system that these companies are paying attention to now. If they do more uh, environmental stuff and social stuff, they get like a score. The term I'm familiar with from college is just corporate social responsibility, but oh, I I, there's, some, there's some actual, there's some actual like, val- like value system. I can't remember what it's called. But it's um, it basically incentivizes big big companies to take more environmental environmental responsibility, um, and it you know it's improves the value of their company basically. Yeah. Cool. Sorry, um, my my buddies are blowing up my phone right now. Yeah, man. Um, that, I was just telling them that I'm like mid podcast, but uh, is this your first podcast? First ever podcast, yeah, dude. It's weird going on your first podcast, isn't it? Of I was a little bit nervous. 
Mine's you know, very like small, I, so you shouldn't be nervous. You're, you shouldn't have been nervous at birth. You're literally my first, second guest on, and I was on my first podcast last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's kind of yeah. funny. So, like, yeah. I, I shouldn't be afraid. Yeah, Plus, it, I know, I know you're, know you're a cool guy. You're not gonna start yeah. like peppering me with, <laughs> with, with, with questions. Like, yeah, no, <laughs> it's uh, the the whole. Yeah, I want everybody to be comfortable. Um, yeah, but it, you know, you did. I get a little nervous because. I'm pretty dead set on not editing stuff out. So like whatever, whatever we say is going to be published and that like, that'll be open for anybody to view. I don't know how many people are going to view it. Um, I, I do have um, on my Spotify analytics. I can't see like the amount of like viewers and stuff. And there are you know, a couple of people watching, not nothing to be excited about, but um, yeah. the, 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 the metrics for, for podcasts are a little different than like Instagram, like Instagram, you need like, tens of thousands of followers to really, you know, be a big name. But my understanding with podcasts is if you have like over like a hundred downloads, you're in the top 20% or something, a podcast oh, or like top 50% or something like that. It's, I didn't know um, that. it's a little different than, than, um, other platforms. Um, hold on. You know, I'm still learning about it and I'm not super concerned. Um, but it would be really cool if this, you know, turned into something bigger, uh, I think you've got a good shot, man, because you're you're not only knowledgeable but fairly uh, well connected. And um, yeah. the, the connection is the only reason I feel a little confident. I do know um, big names, people I look up to, and, and and people I'm friends with. And you know, getting them on, they can you know, and they share it on their platforms. I think it would. Yeah. I think it would be you know a good thing, and you know, it'll be something that people can come on and listen to just people talk about wildlife in a genuine way. That's the whole point. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an honor to be on here. I, uh, like I said, I, I'm, I love, I love wildlife to the core, but, yeah. uh, it's not, I'm not the most knowledgeable or it doesn't matter. Uh, esteemed. It's a, it's a spectrum. It's a spectrum. Guy, right? We, we all, we all have a different, um, level of investment and, but, um, you know, we all should, you know, you, you, I want people to hear what you have to say. I think what you have to say is valuable. Um, yeah. I've, I've always felt like part of my purpose in this thing is to influence some of the people around me. Cause none of my, my closest friends or family uh, are into wildlife at all. Like I was the yeah. total, like I was a frat guy in college. Yeah. I literally like joined a fraternity <laughs> drank beer in college yeah. right like that Nothing was, that was that. yeah and, if I, and uh if i would have gone to college right out of high school i probably would have done the same <laughs> i went a little i took a couple of years going to community college so i didn't i got it out of my system in high school there you go. So. <laughs> yeah so but uh it's 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 fun to to not be like totally in 100 percent invested in it and, and yeah. it gives me to influence people around me that like when you only surround yourself with people that are super similar similar to you and like have all the same views as you you don't really yeah. get a chance to um influence people yeah. so yeah. it's it's really okay. nice when some of my buddies tell me like yeah man like before i met i would kill literally every single snake that i saw yeah. you know because i didn't yeah. know any better but um i've so had it's, a it's similar kind of experience yeah in the town i grew up in it you know 
it's a small town and, you know, we all know each other. And, um, you know, a lot of people around there, they, they don't kill snakes anymore. They're excited to send me a picture of the snake they found. Yeah. It's, uh, it's cool. And every, you know, every little bit counts, you know, I, I don't, I don't think about, I don't think about individual snake killings as, as a, a primary threat to wildlife populations now. Like I, I, like I said earlier, I think about the ecosystem side of it, but it, every little bit does count, you know, it, it does matter. And it just more people caring about wildlife really matters. No matter how jaded I am about putting a lot of effort into saving every individual water snake on <laughs> and you know when you know I, I used to like my point is I, I used to get really into it on social media when people kill a snake or getting on to people and they have a snake in the yard and I still think it's valuable to educate these people but on the on the on the landscape or you know ecosystem level it, you know water snakes are pretty damn abundant You're probably not going anywhere yeah. it's not taken away from the fact that more people that care about wildlife and you know, just the collective mindset it is very important um it really is and we should definitely encourage people not to kill snakes it's just um these days i don't don't focus as much on that as i do on the ecosystem management side of it because like we're we're dealing with you know rapid urban expansion um and that's you know that's that's the the that's that's the top issue for me when I, where I was, when I was younger, my top issue was, you know, saving every individual snake possible, which is still important. It's just, for me, it's on the lower end of the totem pole now. I'm sorry. I really, really let my dog outside, but um, still here, still listening. What what were you just saying? Um, But yeah, I, I mean, not to take away from the value of, you know, educating people about snakes is so important but also educating people about um ecosystems in general and biodiversity in general is kind of more my focus now i i see this sort of thing and and honestly like i'm i'm guilty of it too i'm sure i've i've probably engaged in it myself where like somebody will post something online of like them killing a snake or maybe maybe mishandling something and you get very angry. see people post like all right let's get this guy and like yeah. all the herpers like roll in or like you suck yeah and at the end of the day like i think they didn't save snakes by that, doing that that may spread awareness but to that individual you might end up just pushing them further away Kill more from, snakes yeah like i hate yeah. these guys like they're meanest yeah. like so yeah. um yeah, I agree that like I'm 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 really right now more focused on just uh, hopefully inspiring people to see how cool animals are and, yeah, yeah. and uh, not just animals. You, yeah. Doing um, I still do educational presentations for Crocodile Encounter, and over the years of doing educational presentations, what I found what I find to be the most successful way to present is like when I talk about snakes and it's not all about snakes like we do a whole show it's all about reptiles in general like it starts off with snakes and lizards and then I go to turtles and then crocodilians when I get to the snake part I talk about snakes as a component of an ecosystem I'm like this this species or this group of animals they play critical roles in ecosystems as both a predator and prey source you know they 
They prey on a lot of rodents and that's very valuable, but they're also food for a lot of other species that we should care about, like, you know, bobcats, meso predators and birds of prey. And I, I really emphasize that over, you know, just being like, don't kill snakes. When people see that you're just like a biased snake lover, I think they they're less likely to trust what you're saying. They think you're just a snake lover that's trying to save as many like like they're just you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. I'm having a hard time articulating what I'm thinking. I try to come to them as like presenting snakes from the ecosystem aspect rather than you know I just love snakes, therefore you shouldn't kill them. Exactly. Yeah. It's, and I think that's more successful. And like when people, they, they come to me and they're like, Oh, you know, I had a snake in my yard and, you know, I have kids and stuff and I knew it was venomous and I had to kill it. And instead of like, you know, getting mad about it, I just kind of explained to them, you know, like, you know, for every snake you see, there are more snakes around that you're not seeing. And when you kill that snake, you know, there's a reason that snake is there. Obviously, you live in an area where there's good habitat for snakes. And for one, learn the snakes. And if you do know what's venomous and what isn't, I understand it's perfectly normal to want to not have venomous snakes in your garage or, you know, on your back, yeah. kids and, and pets. And, you know, that can be an expensive medical bill for your kid or your cat or, you know, you know, someone or an animal dying or whatever. So I never try to, you know, um, shame people for wanting to keep venomous snakes away from their family or whatever. One thing I do emphasize is, you know, you can kill as many copperheads in your yard as you want. It's really not making a difference. There's around and for everyone you see, there are more you don't see and say you did remove a good chunk of them. If there's habitat there and prey there, they're going to move back in. There's a, there is a space to be filled for those animals to, inhabit that area and you're better off um focusing on teaching your kids how to what to look for and and to pay attention to snakes wear proper footwear at dusk and at night so many people get bit simply because they're walking out to their truck at night barefoot in the summer in east texas and they step on a copperhead That, that so many bites happen like that and it's ridiculous um, yeah, I've, I've had the light and we're wearing in Copperhead country. Definitely. That's the most, um, that's gotta be the, the most unfortunate one is like, you can, you can preach forever. Like snakes aren't going to chase you and bite you and attack you. And that's true. Like never in yeah. my entire life, but does that ever happen? But if you step on a snake, there's a chance that it will bite you. It's going to bite you. I mean, any, you know, like it thinks it's being attacked and it's a life or death situation. And so it does what it only knows how to do. Um, I've never had any success with convincing somebody that is like straight up deathly afraid of snakes or just hates them or whatever. I've I've never been able to be like, to just convert them. Like, no snakes are cool. And then they're like, Oh yeah, you're right. They gotta, they gotta, they gotta come to that on their own terms. And that's exactly. why being less being less preachy is is important in, in that scenario. You gotta like give like give them an opportunity to experience a cool snake on their own, or or, or give them that, that that opportunity rather than just try to preach to them. Yeah, you, know, you gotta psychology is very important when it comes to wildlife education. 
that's what I found. And I'm, I'm like personally very interested in the human brain and psychology and philosophy yeah. and stuff. And I don't really like, I'm not very, I don't talk about it much. Like I, I fucking love philosophy and psychology, like the, how the human brain works. And I, I use that when I'm doing wildlife education, like how, how can I be the most successful in convincing people that wildlife is something worth conserving and, and, and paying attention to cues and just how humans behave has helped me in doing that. And I feel like I've been very successful. Um, I think it's uh, also just, I think it's also just interesting to look at our own natural his- history as a species and yeah. tying that to the, the psychology that drives some of yeah. the thought processes and decisions that yeah. uh, us humans in modern day make. Truthfully, it's, I'm it's fascinated. I probably the coolest species on the planet is humans. <laughs> We're pretty cool. I mean, like when you start yeah. learning, about, I, I'm not gonna act like I know a lot about human uh, evolution and, and anthropology and stuff, but it's it's so interesting to me, and that's natural because obviously, like knowing more about who we are is very neat. Um, I've been on a I've been on a, a little thing with um uh these these tribe we were talking about it these tribes these uncontacted yeah, tribes yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that dude that 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 gets me fired up that that is so so fascinating to me um like that that footage of those new guinea highlanders like like those are those are humans still living under the the process the ecological and evolutionary processes that you know, influenced who we are today and, and like, God, it's so fascinating, but there are so many ethical concerns with going to see them yeah, um, or, you know, having any kind of influence on them. Even like when I see some of these, these um, tribes that are still living the way they've always lived, but they've had contact with the modern world and people give them like, you know, t-shirts and, you know, like plastic stuff and like, like stuff that isn't part of their, you know, regular natural life and it kind of it kind of ruins it for me like man should have just left them alone but a lot of people have a a moral obligation to you know give them resources and that's good too you know that's very important to give them medical um, resources and you know some of those some of those native peoples do want to improve their lives it seems but like i said i don't don't know much about all that i just i know I'm i'm fascinated by human evolution and human humans living at one with nature, like it was intended. That's something that, that, uh, deeply drives a lot of my interest. And, and, uh, you know, I put my body through the ringer sometimes and like, not like forget a hotel. I'll just sleep in the dirt, you know? And, but I love it. It's, it's, uh, when I first met you out at Gus, like you were just like, randomly out camping out there right <laughs> <laughs> like just sleeping was, on the, sleeping on the ground i was, I was like fully exposed bro i was like mid feeding my dog with like a slack line up and like yeah. just woken up um yeah i was it was it was kind of just a yeah. funny like like <laughs> oh you people that i know like, <laughs> oh, isn't no. that weird it's such a i mean it's not totally um unheard of i mean gus engling is a popular kind of a popular herb spot but which i, I had I, I, drew, I saw i saw the slack line i saw the truck i was like yeah that gives me jack vibes 
And so I saw you. I was like, I was like, Lark, I think I know that guy. I was like, really? Like out here in the middle of nowhere? It's like, I think so. And, and uh, sure enough, it was you. <laughs> yep. Um, she was a, that she was, was funny. Big, she was super stoked to meet you, by the way. She was, she's a big fan of yours. She's, she she's really cool. We were just chatting we today it. about, about California. Like, yeah. We needed an episode with the three of us together. It'd be fun. Yeah, that'd be cool. She's a she's a beast. Yeah, I can I can absorb a lot from her. She's working for a really cool, I guess like I guess it's a nonprofit. It's called Neon. They do like they do science across like all across. They do ecological research all across the U.S. and it's like a open access like like database that they're contributing to where they're collecting data oh, cool. and it can be used by scientists all over the world or something like that. Really, really cool shit she's doing. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to have to have her on to explain all that more. Cause it's, I think it's kind of a new concept for, for biology and wildlife biology. Um, but she, you know, she's studying all different groups of organisms, you know, doing plant work and, you know, beetles and yeah, beetles and like all this cool shit. Um, um, can't wait to have her on to talk about. I tried to get her on last night, but the problem I have with this podcast is I kind of live life on the fly, and it's hard for me to plan. Yeah. So, like, I, I'm you, most of my planning is going to be like within you know a day or two out, you know, because I just I don't know what I'm doing at the time, and it's hard for me to commit to stuff, and um, and also I don't I, ha- I don't like to plan also because I'm not always in the mood to do this. I have to be, you know, in the mood and feel inspired to you know talk talk to somebody and you know i'm an introvert i'm not like fully an introvert um i know you said you you were telling me like it, it, it appears that i'm an extrovert but truly i'm an introvert that was weird for me i, I don't i don't i never thought i would be perceived as an extrovert because i've always been so shy <laughs> i yeah i don't know that, like that i really interesting to me um Sorry, you said that I said that about you or about myself? No, about me. Okay, that's fine. Because yeah. I wasn't sure because I, I yeah. say that about myself also. But yeah, you said um, both. In fact, actually, you said both. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've got but like we both like, yeah, like we both seem like extroverts, but we're introverts. That's what your point I, was. Yeah, totally. Like I'm the, it, it's sometimes really difficult for me to, like I would probably already have a YouTube channel if it weren't the social anxiety of like videotaping myself it's and hard. like saying stuff to a camera and but just that's like the problem for me it out there. The problem, the reason why I feel like I've uh, gravitated towards doing a podcast instead of like just doing YouTube where I'm talking to a camera is um, it's very hard for me like to be energized about something without talking to somebody. Like I feed a lot off of, someone else's energy so it's hard for me to get excited just filming myself it's just awkward yeah i guess you know you, you probably just you know over time you practice and you get better at it um but it's just not fun to me at all i go through these like weird phases where i'll, I'll like randomly be super overconfident and like take these like videos that i think are hilarious <laughs> and then i'll like post them and then the next day, I'll just like start thinking about it, and I'll just delete it. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm working on that. I think that a lot of it is a little bit t- tied to my career because you know I can't like go out and just like 
do a bunch of, not that I would, not that that's what my YouTube channel, if I had one would be, but like, I do sometimes have to, you know, I've got customers and people yeah. that, that expect me to be like focused on that and, yeah. and my employer. I be, yeah. I gotta be careful, um, too, it, you know, with my job, um, you know, we do a lot of stuff for state and federal agencies and, um, you know, know, most people in my company, they, you know, they follow me here. They're going to be listening to this, I'm assuming. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, you know, I have to, uh, you know, I can't, I'm still my full, my, my full self. um, But I, you know, I do care a little bit about um, what I'm putting out there just for my, for career reasons. Like that's pretty sensible. I think I don't think that's that you can still be yourself. Um, You just, you know, don't be a jackass. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that sort yeah, of thing yeah. my boss actually like the boss boss like the ceo he, he told me yesterday he watched my podcast and uh, he's, he's probably he's gonna be listening to this because he obviously listens to it and uh, i was well, like uh, very nervous about that but he's a fan so it's all good that's that's good to hear <laughs> I'll, I'll look well, forward to him hearing this and then uh, you know <laughs> shit about at, least, it. <laughs> at least now he knows you're conscious of it so yeah yeah I, you know I, i'm not insecure or anything but you know i um, when it comes to career stuff, you know, I want to make sure, you know, I'm not, you know, putting myself at a disadvantage at any point. Yeah. So. Um, Definitely. Yeah, man. And you got anything else? We're getting, we're getting into the, getting into the later hours. We're, we started yeah, at six, uh, 630-ish. I've, I've actually, the, the, I said I was, my friends are blowing up my phone. I've got some buddies that are like just about to show up in like five yeah, or ten. Yeah, yeah, I would I would love stuff? to I'd love to do this again. I could probably yeah, go on for another five hours straight. The tip of the iceberg. So yeah. but I think um, you know hour and a half, two hours is pretty ideal anyway. So you can go yeah. and finish it there. So cool. Thanks for coming on, man. Had a good time. It was a blast. Well, uh, whether it's on or off a podcast, we'll definitely be doing this again. Hell yeah, man. Sounds good. See you. Take it easy. Thanks for having me.